which is me. So in today's lecture, we will be talking about the cardiovascular system from the EMT perspective. This lecture will be covering the blood, heart, and vessels because that's what makes up the circulatory system. We will touch a little bit on circulation, cardiac output, blood pressure, and the electrical pathway of the heart. Okay, so simply think of the cardiovascular system as the pump, pipes, and fluid. The heart is the pump, blood vessels are the pipes, and the blood is the fluid. There are four primary components to the blood. We have red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, and plasma. What is important for you is to understand that red blood cells are what transport oxygen and carbon dioxide throughout the body. What makes red blood cells unique is hemoglobin. One hemoglobin molecule can bind up to four oxygen molecules. When the red blood cell receives oxygen from the alveoli, it then transports it to the various tissues of the body. However, also in this exchange, we also get carbon dioxide, which then will be transported as waste out of our system. As far as the white blood cells, you've probably have heard this before. They're responsible for fighting infection. They're produced in the marrow of the body. Another part of blood are things known as platelets. These are cell fragments. This is what initiates blood clotting. Obviously this will play a later role as we get into medical emergencies and trauma. The average blood volume in an adult is four to six liters. Obviously it depends on the size of the person. So when we put this together the one thing that you need to remember is what is perfusion. And perfusion is the flow of oxygenated blood throughout the body. So if we have poor perfusion, we have shock. So dependent on the program you're going through, we like to use different words during testing purposes. So shock is otherwise known as hypoperfusion or inadequate perfusion. Just know inadequate perfusion, inadequate tissue perfusion, inadequate perfusion, blah, 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 blah. This is shock. That's all shock is, is that the body is not getting oxygenated blood throughout the tissue and vital organs. I will be re-emphasizing this more and more because if you're in our program, unfortunately, the test questions will utilize shock, hypoperfusion, uh, back and forth to talk about essentially shock. So pipes, let's now talk about the pipes. A nice to know thing is that there's over 60,000 miles of blood vessels in the average human body. So let's break this down. If we look at this from left to right, I just want you to picture that in your mind. We have arteries, which then turn into arterioles, spelled A-R-T, E-R-I-O-L-E-S, then into capillaries. The capillaries then expand into venules and then subsequently into veins. And this has something to do with the way blood flows throughout our body. So you've probably have watched some type of movie where someone suffered a wound and it started spurting. 
Well, spurting is indicative of arteries that have been injured. They are considered the highest pressure. So arteries are under, under that high pressure. At the capillary level, this is where nutrients are exchanged. And then we have our veins, and this is low pressure. So that's why when someone suffers a laceration where a vein is involved, the blood will just flow out of the wound and not spurt. And then with abrasions, which is just a scrape to the skin, you'll see just oozing of blood. So that's why as an EMT, you'll be able to tell what type of injury the patient has based on the type of bleeding that they have. Now I threw out that whole artery, arterial, capillary, venule, and veins. Well, where it comes together is this. Arteries are connected to veins by capillaries. I guess that was more of a simplistic way to put it. I didn't have to go through the blah, blah, blah thing. Anyways, so what allows dilation and constriction of our circulatory system? Well, it's smooth muscle. Remember, let's go back to those previous lectures of smooth muscle, that involuntary muscle that we do not have control of. This is fight or flight. If fight or flight kicks in, depending on what's going on, different things will happen and your arteries and veins or your circulatory system will constrict and dilate. When we return back to that homeostasis, same thing. This is all based upon smooth muscle. I know it sounds like a lot right now, but trust me, this will all come into play with later lectures, just like we kind of built upon the previous lecture of smooth muscle. This lecture will be very important as we start to talk about shock. If you don't understand the cardiovascular system, you're not going to understand various components of shock as well as the treatments related to shock. So let's now talk energy of the cell. What is the energy of the cell? Body only needs, or I should say your cells only need two things to live, oxygen and glucose. That is it. Now, as a tidbit, especially for your neurological lecture, the brain is the only organ in the entire body where those cells do not require insulin to process glucose. Every other cell in your body requires insulin to utilize glucose. This is why later during your diabetic emergency lecture, you're going to learn that when in doubt, we give sugar when someone has a history of diabetes because withholding sugar from them could cause brain tissue to begin to die since glucose is a nutrient that cells need. But enough of that, let's not jump too far ahead. Now let's talk about the pump. First, going back to the muscle. The heart is made up of cardiac muscle, which is only found in the heart. It contains or has special properties. These special properties are called automaticity and rhythmicity. <laughs> I sure hope I pronounced those right. Hey, I'm a paramedic. I'm not some grammar dude. If I was a grammar dude, this would be the grammar guru pod lecture. Okay. So what are the landmarks of the heart? No, contrary to popular belief, the heart is not in the center of the chest. I want you to think about your intercostal spaces. That's the space in between each of your ribs. If you're a meat eater, that is the tasty stuff that we get to eat. So if we start on the right side of the body, the heart will begin about the second intercostal space. So this is essentially near the right sternal border. 
and then the heart will extend downward to the fifth intercostal space, about to the left midclavicular line. Now can you see why it's important to know landmarks? The apex of the heart, remember that word from one of our original lectures, is the inferior part of the heart, which the base is the superior part of the heart. I would recommend that you take a look at a diagram of the heart so that way you can get very familiar with some of the structures as we will be only able to talk, to, talk about them in this podcast. Now this next part may seem a little complicated. I have a diagram that is best when I talk about this, but I'm going to go ahead and explain it anyways. Hopefully you can find the diagram on the internet. I may try to upload something to my Instagram so that way you folks could go ahead and take a look at what I'm exactly talking about. So let's trace a drop of blood through the secretory system of the body. So let's look at this. A drop of blood leaves the lungs and travels through the pulmonary vein. From the pulmonary vein, it enters the left atrium. From the left atrium, it'll pass through the mitral valve and into the left ventricle. From the left ventricle, it will then travel through the aortic valve towards the aorta and finally to the body arteries. Now, if you remember, body arteries are connected to body veins via capillaries. So this drop of blood now goes to the arteries, through the capillary, and now through the body veins. From here, that drop of blood will enter the superior and inferior vena cava and then travel towards the right atrium. Upon entering the right atrium, it will pass through the tricuspid valve and then into the right ventricle. From the right ventricle, it will enter the pulmonary vein, then through the pulmonary, I'm sorry, the pulmonary valve, then through the pulmonary artery and back into the lungs so the gas exchange can take place again. So now let's talk about why this is important. This is important because we will have certain emergencies where understanding the signs and symptoms of our patients will tell us if they're in left or right heart failure. So a prime example, let's just say the right side of the heart fails and the blood has nowhere to go. So picture someone putting a dam in the right ventricle, not allowing that blood to exit the right ventricle. Normally this blood would head towards the lungs, but now it's been dammed up and the blood is starting to back up. And if you look at the diagram that I have, it backs up to the body veins. This is pedal and sacral edemia. If you are treating a patient who has pedal edema, which is swelling of the ankles, or sacral edemia, which is swelling in the lower back because they are confined to a bed, you could assume that they have right heart failure. Now, on the other side of that coin, if the left heart fails, once again, blood is dammed up, and no blood is exiting those ventricles, we will see that the blood has nowhere to go from the lungs and it begins to back up in the lungs. This causes a condition known as congestive heart failure. In your lectures, you probably have heard of CHF. This, was, this is when blood fills up the alveoli and begins to fill up the lungs. This is probably one of the most sig single scariest calls that a first responder could ever be on. As I tell my students, what makes it so scary is the simple fact that I am watching my patients drown in front of me. 
It's as if they were underwater and they're trying to breathe, but their lungs are filled with water and there's nothing I can do or they can do to get that water out of their lungs. That's what makes it scary. We do have some things we can do, which we'll talk about later on, but once again, this is one of my top three not-so-favorite calls to be on. Now that we know how blood flows through the circulatory system, let's talk about what makes up the heart. The, mar the heart has layers. The layers are myocardium, which are fed by coronary vessels during diastole, diastole and the pericardium. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, as an EMT, you're going to take a blood pressure. Your top number is your systolic number, and your bottom number is your diastolic number. That top number represents your artery expanding, and diastolic is when your artery relaxes. So top number 120, bottom number 80, and you will have numbers such as this. This is why hypertension plays such an important role, because if you have a artery that's normally expanding at 120, then all of a sudden it's now 200, you could see that your arteries are expanding wider than they should. Now in the diastolic part, since that's the relaxation where your arteries are turning back to normal, this is when your coronary vessels feed your heart. These coronary vessels will play an important role when we especially start, start, when we start talking about angina and a myocardial infarction, MI. It is here where these things fail, which causes the patient to exhibit signs and symptoms of a heart attack, i.e. pain. We will definitely be discussing coronary arteries, MIs, and angina in various future lectures. Now, if I was your instructor, these would be the things, the important things that I would tell you you need to know and understand. The atriums. Where are they at? Ventricles, where are they at? Your coronary arteries, what are they there for? The aorta, what's it do? The inferior and superior vena cava. Your pulmonary artery, your pulmonary vein, the septum, the myocardium, and the pericardium. These are important things to understand. Now, mind you, not every EMT knows these, and the reason why is they just don't take the time to learn them. you got to ask yourself, do you want to be a good EMT or do you want to be a great EMT? Because we have plenty of good EMTs. I'm challenging you to be a great EMT. So we're going to get back to this systole and diastole. I sure hope I'm pronouncing that right. Some nice-to-need-to-know information regarding systole and diastole is that during systole, blood will enter the pulmonary valve and the aortic valve. As opposed to in diastolic, valve will exit the tricuspid valve and the mitral valve. Once again, these are just nice things to know what is going on with the heart during your diastolic and your systolic phases of blood pressure. Now, once again, as far as understanding structures and knowing where they're at, in my opinion, you need to know where the tricuspid valve is at, the mitral valve, otherwise known as the bicuspid valve, as well as the pulmonary and aortic valves. If you plan on becoming a paramedic or advancing your medical profession, nursing, PA, so forth, these will play these structures will play vital to your education. Now let's talk some definitions. 
This is three by far, three by five card stuff. And if you're new to my podcast, you will know that whenever I say this is three by five card, this means this is something that you just have to write down, put it on a card, and memorize it. I'm not a big fan of memorizing stuff just to memorize, but unfortunately, stuff in the medical field just requires it. Stroke volume. Stroke volume is the amount of blood ejected by the heart in one cardiac cycle. Cardiac output is the amount of blood pumped by the heart in one minute. Once again, stroke volume is the amount of blood ejected by the heart in one cardiac cycle, and cardiac output is the amount of blood pumped by the heart in one minute. So a formula that you will need to remember, you probably are not going to use it, but you need to, to remember is the formula for cardiac output. Cardiac output equals stroke volume times heart rate. You will see it as C period O period equals S period V period times H period R period. Cardiac output equals stroke volume times heart rate. This is one of the formulas that you have to memorize, especially for National Registry. Now we're going to head towards another formula, but first we must understand PVR or otherwise peripheral vascular resistance. PVR is the resistance to blood flow due to the peripheral blood vessels. So it's just that resistance caused by the constriction of the vessels. This is PVR. PVR will be utilized in the formula for determining blood pressure. So blood pressure equals cardiac output times PVR. Now sometimes students will ask, what's a normal blood pressure? Well, typically on the systolic side, 140 or below is considered a normal blood pressure. Now obviously as we get older, there are many factors that will influence blood pressure. My preceptor always taught me that a good systolic blood pressure is your age plus 100. So this way, as you get older, the various things that happen to your body, such as arteriosclerosis, hardening of the arteries, this is all taken account with the age because typically we will see people's blood pressures begin to rise as they begin as they get older. Now on the diastolic side, a blood pressure, a normal blood pressure on the diastolic side is normally about below 90. Now back to the formula side. Because we're teaching you not just what happens in Los Angeles County, state of California, but we also have to prepare you for national registry as well as the different states and what they teach in their programs. So blood pressure. Two formulas for blood pressure. Three by five card. Blood pressure equals cardiac output times PVR. That's one formula. A second formula is blood pressure equals heart rate times stroke volume times heart rate. Just those things, guys. I do apologize, but it's just the information as it comes across. There are some definitions, or I should say there are some medical terms that I want you to look up and understand. First one is dysrhythmia, which is a rhythm that is not normal, cardiac rhythm that is not normal. And that could be the two rhythms that I'm going to mention right now, tachycardia, fast heart rate, bradycardia, slow heart rate. These would be considered dysrhythmias. Now remember I talked about angina and MI? Well, ischemia is lack of oxygen. So tissue is beginning to die because it's not getting oxygen. This will lead to an infarction. 
So an MI is tissue death. Yes, it has chest pain, but you have to remember that a piece of the heart is dying because it is not getting oxygen. Something is clogging the artery, the pulmonary artery that feeds that portion of the heart. Now, what regulates the cardiovascular system? Well, regulation takes place from baroreceptors. They monitor blood pressure. Baroreceptors are located in the aortic arch and the carotid arteries. When blood pressure decreases, heart rate increases. So remember that. When blood pressure decreases, heart rate increases. This is the body's mechanism to compensate for the drop of a blood pressure. Now, when, a, when blood pressure increases, your heart rate will decrease. These are safety nets inside of our body. Our body is a wonderful machine, and sometimes it just knows how to uh, fix itself. But unfortunately, sometimes these fixes uh, can lead to putting someone in shock and subsequently putting them into a medical condition that requires emergency medicine. Now we're coming up on that 20-minute mark, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll get back to this and finish up this lecture. Okay, welcome back. So we're going to talk about the electrical conduction for mechanical action. In layman's terms, the pacemakers of the heart. Now there are five pacemakers in the heart, but the three that I want you to be familiar with are the SA node, the sinoatrial node, the AV node, and the Pagenji fibers. So your heart has five, five pacemakers that tell it how fast to beat. Your primary one is your SA node, your sinoatrial node. Now the other ones are backups, going back to the heart or the body is a wonderful system. So the SA node is at the very top of your heart on the right side. It sends an electrical impulse down the entire length of the heart which sets your heart rate. Normally a, a normal heart rate for an adult is 60 to 80. Now, because of disease or other factors, this SA node may give out. The next node to take over is your AV node. When the AV node takes over, unfortunately, it beats a little bit slower. And then subsequently, this could fail, and then the Bikinji fibers will take over. When those fail, this is when normally a doctor will install a pacemaker and defibrillator into someone's body because the natural pacemakers of the body are no longer working or they're not working efficiently. So if we want to talk about what is actually the heart rates of these particular nodes, the SA node, which is normal, its inherent rate is 60 to 100. Back when I first started EMS, a normal heart rate was considered 60 to 100. Today, they make it 60 to 80. In the future, it can go back to 60 to 100, and that's why medicine is always evolving, which requires you to be recertified every two years because things change. Now, the AV node, its inherent rate is 40 to 60, and the Bikinji fibers rate is 20 to 40. These are numbers that you need to know and memorize. Now, what causes cardiac irritability and dysrhythmias? Hypoxia and hypothermia. So, ladies and gentlemen, I need you to remember that hyperthermia causes cardiac irritability and dysrhythmias. You are going to have an environmental lecture which is going to talk about what may affect 
the cardiac output of someone. And for some reason, despite us going over this over and over again, people forget about that hypothermia affects irritability and dysrhythmias of the cardium. This irritability can be lethal to your patients. What is the most common cause of sudden death? Well, dysrhythmia, cardiac irritability. The most common dysrhythmia is ventricular fibrillation. This is why an EMT armed with an AED could mean the difference between life and death for a patient suffering from V-fib or VTAC. This is that point of the lecture while I remind EMT students that it's very important that they have already obtained their American Heart Association BLS provider card. American Heart is the standard across the United States for pre-hospital uh, medical care, so it's very important that you get that card. If you have not attended a BLS provider course, you should do so immediately. Much of what comes on exams comes directly from the American Heart Association standard, and I'm sure this is the same thing for National Registry. Well, this will be ending our cardiovascular lecture. Uh, look forward to my next podcast, and we will be talking to you later. Have a good day.